Welcome to the City Collective Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. Okay, guys, can we go grab our seats? And I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 to 48. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbors and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? And not even the tax collectors, are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Wonderful. Thanks, Joyce. Well, we are in the middle of a series where we're journeying through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, for, for some, myself included, perhaps the, uh, the most meaningful teaching from Jesus throughout his ministry. It's a, it's a moment where he pauses and he gives a, uh, a manifesto on what it means to really be a participant, a, a disciple of Christ, but a participant in the kingdom that he's bringing here on earth. It was interesting the, the time and place that they found themselves in. Those who would have been listening to the words of Jesus would have found them incredibly confusing. <laughs> Unexpected. And perhaps a little offensive. I think sometimes when, when Jesus says things like this, it feels pointed because it hits closer to the home than we care to admit out loud. There's, there's ways in which Jesus communicates and it's always full of love and full of grace, but it is with truth. Not just for the sake of truth and truth alone, but for the sake that his people and those who listen might receive and discover a flourishing life that he desires. So in this series, we have heard it through and through, all these different uh, ideas. Uh, it was, it's been great to journey through each of the different thoughts. Uh, and in this Lenten season, I think it's good to reflect. It's good to hear these words from Jesus and what they mean for us as individuals. When I, when I hear a text like this, when I hear love your enemy, it sounds like a, like a moral oxymoron. It, it makes it feel like it's unattainable and it's almost like an unrealistic directive. Loving your neighbor can almost seem like it's unnatural. Uh, loving your enemy, sorry, can almost feel like it's like unnatural, like this emotional self-harm that you might put yourself through. And loving your neighbor might make sense. Loving your enemy... Uh, not, not so much, perhaps. Neighborliness is built on so many of the ideas that we almost share instinctively. Uh, mutual protection, collaboration, cooperative action, communal sharing, all these ideas that we seem to get almost at an instinctual level, and then we think upon our idea of an enemy, and it seems to go counter to all of those things that we desire. Jesus is speaking to what the people have been told and to the kingdom he's inviting them to be part of. And this is important because I think 
when we think upon this idea of love your enemy, especially if you've been exposed to it previously, or you've been raised in the church, it is sanitized. It is washed over. It is quickly moved past. Love your enemy is a distinctive characteristic of our faith. Not only in concept, but in action. And I think that we've lost some of the emphasis that it demands. So we're going to go through this text, and I've got three observations that I would like to unpack to see what Jesus is saying. And I wonder for you, what comes to mind when you think of an enemy? Is it this trend of superhero movies? Is it Lex Luthor and and Thanos? Is it... Is it a TV show that makes you feel like you can get alongside the hero and go against the villain? That's, that's the enemy that seems to come to your mind? Is, is it political for you that you've got this deep political stance that you think upon places like China and Russia as your enemies? Is it, is it something maybe a little bit less aggressive in an opposing sports team that you feel strongly about? Or maybe... Maybe an enemy simply feels like, in this day and age, someone that disagrees with you. I know for myself, when I think upon what it means and what moments I've had of having a perceived enemy, it's often come from a place where I've probably been a little bit more immature than I would care to admit. It's, it's feeling strongly about something someone said to me, uh, whether it's within a, a sporting event or whether it's uh, out on, on the streets. Something happened that made me feel like they're against me, so I'm against them. And, and we, we have this quick switch, it feels like, when it comes to actually treating people like enemies. But we don't use the word enemy. And in fact, when we think about the idea of enemy, I don't think we perceive it in a way that actually has a ton of weight to it. But there are moments in our life where there is an awakening in our hearts to hatred that lies underneath. And these moments are often centered around a perceived enemy. You will probably remember the moment that you fall in love, but do you remember the moment that you fell into hate? The first observation I want to make from this text is that love and hate are two sides of the same coin. Verse 43 says, You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. We in our culture, we really struggle with what to do with hate and what to do with love. We talk about hate all the time and love all the time, but there is a deep crisis to what our world is actually facing. The coin that is love on one side and hate on the other has been diminished to be of little value. Think of it as simply a penny. That we simply toss around the words of love and hate and the feelings of love and hate with so little actual weight to it that at this point, the language around it has lost all gravity to what is actually meant for it. We like to use it in the most casual of manners. But Jesus sees that this two-sided coin of love and hate is of infinite worth and it requires care and consideration in the manner in which it is actually given to others 
In our culture, the the term hate is often used. And hate on a surface level has become, if you disagree with me, you hate me. That has become what our culture thinks. To disagree is to be hateful, but in a deeper sense, the true root of hate is a desire to destroy. That's why it is connected with the idea of an enemy. When we actually begin to live out of a place where hate has become foundational in our emotional and cognitive approach, we are often on a track where we desire to destroy that which we believe to be our enemy. Hate is cavalierly thrown around, but in reality, it has a deep meaning. Hate is a passionate ill will. It is a prejudiced hostility. It is a carried sense of revulsion. It is a pointed desire to destroy. That is what hate is. And that is what Jesus is pointing to. Because though our minds might go to superheroes or to sports teams or to disagreements, the people that Jesus was talking to in that time and place very much knew what an enemy was. Israel always seemed to have an enemy, a very real one, in fact. There was real political angst that Jesus had stepped into in this time and place around the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus had stepped into it during his ministry because after Alexander the Great had conquered the world and then he dies of a broken heart, he ended up splitting the world into four different regions to his four different generals. And the regions that the Israelites they fell under was under a general named Aquinius Aphinius, a particularly God godless man, most notoriously known for his desire to sacrifice a pig in the Holy of Holies. He's what he was going to do to the people of Israel. It was a confrontational act that was despicable in the eyes of the Jewish people and in the eyes of God. And it was meant to actually corrupt the children of Israel. And the response from a, a priest in the time was he actually rose up and he killed him. And in in return, it started a civil war. The man's son who killed Aquinius was actually Judas Maccabeus. And he was known to be, he he is, he's he's Braveheart. He was known to be mighty in in word and in deed. And he had people that rallied to him and they they fought a a guerrilla war and they actually ended up winning. They, they, They got the independence that they desired, except for only a short period of time, because soon after that, the Roman conquerors rolled through with a very well-organized military unit, wiped out this guerrilla warfare, and took control. So the opposition that they felt that they had overcome, the enemy they they thought they'd overcome, was now replaced by another opposing force, and they desired to act upon the hate for their enemy over and over again. Jesus is saying exactly this when he's saying, you have heard it said. You'll have noticed that when we talked about these different pieces uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, he talks about, I did not come to uh, 
break the law, I came to fulfill it. And then there's a series of six ideas that he presents. He talks about divorce and lust, oaths and retaliation. He talks about these different ideas. And then he gets to this point at the very end. And on the track to it, what he's actually done, he's referred to the Old Testament on multiple occasions. That you shall not murder, but there's actually more to it. There's more depth to it. This one's a little bit different. Because he doesn't say, you would have heard it read. He says, you would have heard it said. It's interesting because if you look for this, this text or this idea that is stated in verse 43, love your en- enemy and love your neighbor and hate your enemy, this is not found in the Bible. This is, this is not an idea that's quoted by someplace in the Old Testament. But yet, it was the manner in which the people of Israel, Israel were living as if it was law itself. What had happened, and this is what Jesus is doing in this moment. Jesus had decided that he was going to speak directly to something he believed had been badly misinterpreted. There's a scripture in Leviticus 19 verse 18. And we can put that up on the screen. And it says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people. But love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord really important. It says among your people. What the rabbis of the time had done is they had come to a place of interpretation to say that what it's pointing to is that the only people who are your neighbors are the Israelites of the time, are are those within your tribe. And what had been rising up within the people of Israel, those who were listening, was this distinct tribalism that was creating separation and augmenting and, and forming further moments of hatred within the people. And Jesus is saying, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And he's speaking directly to that. I've got something else to say. It's a misinterpretation for multiple reasons because a couple verses later, you hear specifically that God talks about welcoming the immigrant, welcoming the refugee. Treat them as if they were your neighbor. Welcome them into your community. John Stott, he very succinctly summarizes as saying, our neighbor is our enemy. Our neighbor includes our enemy. What Jesus is doing right off the bat is he's teaching a transformative vision of a kingdom discipleship. And he speaks to the misunderstanding of the day and the manner in which love and hate, they play off each other. But he doesn't stop there because he wants us to understand that love for those who follow them is going to be transformative for all that were around them. And he uses weather as, as as a way to do it. So if the first idea is love and hate are two sides of the same coin, the second observation is that biblical love is not a feeling. So Jesus, he brings love to the forefront. And it's worth recognizing how, just like with hate, there is a misconstruction, a misdiagnosis of what love really is. Love is very much characterized as a feeling that we have that we then act upon. And it's worth recognizing how this has become dismissive in our treatment of the word over time. Just thrown around. It's, it's thinking of it this way. that, I, And I'm guilty of it as well. It's in our, in our language and our use of it. I'm going to say I love Chinese food and I love my mom in the same sentence. But I hope that they're different. That, that, that there's, there's different weight to the words. 
But yet, the way that we use it is the same. And far too often, the way that we live it out can actually be the same. So Jesus, he, he articulates a response to this momentary feeling. And he says this in verse 44. But I tell you, this is his response to what has been said in the day. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. This is just Jesus simply saying that all people are given the gifts of God freely and equally. And the manner in which your tribalism has led you to separate people is not reflective of my heart towards them. And you're no longer reflecting the life that I want for you. Jesus is saying that hate for your enemy moves you away from the heart of God. C.S. Lewis, he says this. He says, we must try to feel about the enemy as we feel about ourselves. To wish that he were not bad. To hope that he may, in this world or another, be cured. In fact, to wish his good. That is what is meant in the Bible by loving him, our enemy, wishing his good, not feeling fond of him, nor saying he's nice when he is not. I admit that this means loving people who have nothing lovable about them. Biblical love is different than a feeling. It is not a feeling. Biblical love is an expression of the heart of God in our lives, in the spaces where we do not feel the love that we would love to feel. <laughs> We need to choose to view our enemies in a certain way. Within God's economy, every person is beloved. Every person is made in the image of God. And we're all screwed up in our own ways here and there, but they are humans made in the image of Almighty God. And God in the person of Jesus has come to us in the ultimate act of love. And therefore, if I'm a disciple of Jesus, I actually don't have the right or authority to treat someone as unloved. To hate someone as a follower of Jesus is to give over ourselves to an act of unlove opposite of the way that the Father looks at them. When Jesus has treated them as someone who has infinitely, who is infinitely loved. This is the logic that the kingdom of God is no longer allowing us to hold the rights to deny love to others, to deny kindness or generosity towards others. And now this is not an excuse that justifies abuse or wrongdoing. This is, this is part of what has happened in our treatment of the scripture is that we see love your enemy and we become passive in our treatment of it. There's nothing passive about the kingdom of God. There's nothing passive about the love that is biblically shown to us. Biblical love is not a feeling. Biblical love is an action, an intention born from the heart of God. Therefore, if I'm going to actually love someone and if I'm going to love my enemy, I need to act in a way that's outside of how I'm feeling. To actually operate passively, I would say, is to give in to the feeling that you're carrying. 
and to avoid conflict, to avoid a self-evaluation, when in fact the call is to be an adopted child of God that I then choose to look to replicate and reflect his posture of kindness that is shown towards all people. Jesus is saying that the societal problem that we hold is that we love each other within our tribes and we hate people who are outside of it. Groups of people tend to be more immoral than individuals within those groups. Reinhold Niebuhr says that, an American theologian. One of the things that I've heard said about this as well, Augustine, he talks about this. He says, Many have learned to offer the other cheek, but they do not know how to love him by whom they are struck. So what is this different love that's being provided to us? And perhaps you've heard it talked about. It's this idea of agape love. Um, Within Jesus' time, he would have been teaching in Aramaic, and he would have used this word rachma. But when the translation came to the Greek those who were translating this idea of rachma, of love, they were looking at it not just in the context of the conversation, but the context of the man, the the life of Jesus. And they came to this word of, of agape. And agape is this idea that love is an action, that love is a choice that you may seek the well-being of people other than yourself. And Jesus is saying And hear me on this. Jesus is saying the ultimate standard of authentic love is how you treat a person that you can't stand. And we all have people that we can't stand. No wonder what Jesus is asking us to do is to live in this upside down kingdom. Because he's actually calling us to demonstrate his love in the most uncomfortable, unnatural of circumstances. The ultimate standard of authentic love is how you treat the person you can't stand. And intentional action is born from divine compassion. Biblical love is not a feeling. And then Jesus continues by saying this in verse 46. He says, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are, you, are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do you even, do not even pagans do that? When it says pagans, it's not meant to be derogatory. It's just people outside of the Jewish tradition. Uh, and then verse 48 says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. And this is actually the piece of the text that gets me the most irked. And maybe it's like a personality thing that I hear, like, be perfect. I'm like, I'm going to try everything I can to be that. And I'm probably going to fail, and it's going to hurt a lot. And it feels, again, unattainable. Be perfect? I I don't think I can do that. Well, that, that probably rules me out of this conversation, so I should probably just stick to hating my enemy. It seems that this idea of enemy love is almost like unattainable. Perhaps you felt that even when you heard it. But Jesus isn't asking for a perfection of, perfection of action. He's indicating this. He's indicating that the fruit of a life that is lived, looking to reflect the love of God and that follows his way, he's saying that we are never more like God than, we love, than when we love our enemies.
That's the third observation I have from this text. We are never more like God than when we love our enemies. The kingdom, the kingdom that Jesus is inviting us into is a kingdom that reflects not how human communities tend to operate today, but the kingdom is a community that operates by the children of God reflecting their Father who is in heaven. And that's exactly what is meant by verse 48. Like your Father loves you. Like your Father lives. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The English word for perfect can carry a lot of connotations to it. I feel that myself. But this idea of telos is is a little bit different. It actually, if you were to do a word study in the New Testament, you'll find that it's a word used to indicate more the idea of a reached completion point or it's a growth or it's a development on, on a journey of being human. And there's something about when a human being takes a step that It feels like a completion. It feels like there is an achievement that that you get to. And there's something that happens when you and I step outside of the boundaries of our tribalism that we have intentionally and unintentionally set in place. And we begin to cross those boundaries, those tribal lines, and we choose an attitude and we perform an act towards someone that is of benevolence, that is of generosity, that that is of kindness, That is outside of our circle. There is something beautiful and distinct about it. We want our world to know who Jesus is, not simply to get a golden ticket to heaven, but because the flourishing kingdom that he invites us into here in the now is one beyond our comprehension. And every time I read this text, every time I see the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, this manifesto of what his kingdom looks like, I am compelled and convicted because I know that this is going to call something out of me that is not coming naturally. Hate seems so much more natural than love towards those I cannot stand. And this is what Jesus is inviting us into. To go against the grain of every intuition that seems natural as a human and to look with compassion and perform an act of generosity Outside of our circle. Jesus says, you humans are never more like God than when they are in that moment of enemy love. And that's what the whole deal is about. Oaths and retaliations came right before this. In many ways, it's tied directly to this. When Jesus' disciples do the things that he talks about here on the Sermon on the Mount, the world looks different. The followers of Jesus who have made the most deep and significant impacts in human history are people who have chosen this course. This authentic love, this enemy love that begins to reflect the heart of God. In our our modern day culture, one person that consistently gets noted, perhaps not in in a Christian sense, but very much from a Christian foundation, is Martin Luther King Jr. His, His words, he has days, he has streets named after him, and so many of the dialogues that are about racial equality come out that man's life and his, and his sacrifice and the way that he approached it. And he was not a perfect individual. I had, I had his I have a dream speech on my wall growing up. And it was like right by my door. And I, I remember I would always read it 
just at different points, and it was something that inspired me and called something out of me. And I read his, his tales or his, um, his writings out of the Birmingham jail, and I read them like, this is a man who is flawed. But yet, he desires so deeply for the love that he has to give to be the love that the Father has shown to him. There's a story from his life that in 1963, he came out of his house and in front of his house was a burning cross. This was not the only time, it was not the last time. But he came out and he saw the burning cross and he got up and he went back into his house. He put on his best suit and he went out to the front yard. The reporters were there and he picks up this cross and he pulls it out of the grass and he began to utter a prayer. And he prayed that God would show favor and bless the people who did it. This is what he says. He says the ultimate weakness of violence is that it is a descending spiral, but getting the very thing it seeks to destroy. Instead of diminishing evil, it multiplies it through violence. You may murder the liar, but you cannot murder the line or establish the truth through violence, you may murder the hater, but you will not murder hate. In fact, violence merely increases hate, so it goes returning violence for violence, multiplies violence, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. Love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. You and I are never more like God than we are in the moment in which we love our enemy. And this is what Paul indirectly communicates in Romans 5.10, where he writes that while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. This is enemy love. This is pushing back against the feeling of pain that wishes to destroy. This is to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute you. It's very specific why Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Because he knows, he knows that, Jason, you cannot do this on your own. You are incapable of actually holding the love that you desire to hold. That hate is going to come in waves. But this is what I want to believe and I will believe. That love is stronger than hate. But not the love that I manufacture on my own. But the love that I discover and receive from the Father. So no wonder I need to pray. Prayer is not a manipulation of the divine for my personal desires. Prayer is the alignment and the desire to move towards the heart of God. And when I discover the heart of God, I discover the love of God. And when the love of God becomes the life that I live, then the love that I find is love that is stronger than hate. So we need to begin to hope that love is stronger than hate. We need to begin to believe that love is stronger than hate. And we need to begin to live like love is stronger than hate. 
This is not just getting people outside of categories of enemy and neighbor. This is about learning to live a life that is a reflection and an overflow of the love of God that is shown to us. That when we were still enemies, God reconciled us to him through the death of his son. And in his life and in his resurrection, you and I are invited to live that love out fully in a manner that is beyond our current capability. Love and hate are two sides of the same coin. Biblical love is not a feeling, and we are never more like God than we, when we love our enemies. We need a heart for his people. It's not just about having a good idea. We need to begin to ha- have actions that we live out. I wonder for you this morning, Maybe the first step is to actually identify who am I treating as my enemy and who am I treating as as my neighbor? And what is the line that I have chosen to draw? If I'm just loving those who are nice to me, am I actually living out the love that has been given to me? The most authentic love that you will ever discover as a follower of Jesus is love towards someone you cannot stand. So keep it simple. This doesn't have to be a dramatic idea that you work through. Very simply ask yourself, who can I not stand right now? Who am I carrying hate in my heart towards right now? Who do I treat as my enemy? And how can I choose to love them today? And to love them is to be generous and kind. It's to demonstrate that which you have found in the love of Jesus towards those who he calls beloved. While we were still enemies, Christ died for us so that we could be reconciled, made right. The rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. Are we going to treat people with that same love that God shows to each and every person? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the ways in which you are leading us into new waters that restore our soul. I think there's an ignorance that happens within, within us in our time and day that the hate is never as far as we go. I just pray right now that you would Reveal the roots of hatred that are within our hearts, these desire to destroy that simmers underneath the surface. And maybe it doesn't look like murder or something violent, but there's a violent desire within our hearts to see another destroyed. Father, we repent. May we know your love. And may your love drive out hate. May your love reveal something fresh and new within us. May your love heal our tender and broken hearts. Thank you that love is stronger than hate. 
and that you are love, so we come to you. And in this space, in this morning, I ask for just boldness to call out the hatred in our lives and declare love is stronger. You are stronger. And may freedom be found. Let reconciliation even begin to take place in our hearts right now. When we think upon individuals that have harmed us, that we feel very justified in our hatred towards. Make our hearts soft and tender. They might reflect yours each and every day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it encouraged and blessed you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.